directly in touch with the Supreme Lord and was receiving instructions from him directly. Translation this way, King Maliyat Vajra attained perfect knowledge because of his pure, in his pure state, he was directly instructed by the Supreme Personality of Godhead by means of such enlightening and transcendental knowledge he could understand everything from all angles of vision. Uh, this verse is actually connected with the next verse in which the Lord observes the Lord within and the Atma also. Uh, so how does he attain that uh, vision of the Lord? And it is by Visuddha Jnana Dibena, by the lamp of pure knowledge uh, spoken by the Supreme Lord directly, who was the Guru. Uh, so he gets some knowledge from the Supreme Lord, and then with that he's able to see the Lord and see the Jiva, etc., uh, which is spoken of in the previous verse where there was a distinction between Jiva, Supreme Lord, material body. So, uh, he got knowledge and he got realization of all of these things. In our um, sadhana, uh, we have um, what is called sambandhagana, a knowledge of uh, let's say, things what exists and how are they related with each other what is real and how these things relate to each other uh, and of course God is there so therefore it's not just knowledge it's knowledge of God theology uh, so that's what someone began as uh, the uh, relationship between Jiva and Supreme Lord so that is something that is very necessary for sadhana bhakti. In other words, to do anything in this world, we do need some knowledge. If we're going to succeed nicely, we do need some knowledge. So of course, we also need to have some knowledge of the goal we're trying to achieve. We have to have knowledge of a good process to attain that goal. And we do have to have some preliminary knowledge, which is the Sambandagyan, in order to set a goal and also to make a process to get that. So these are the three aspects of knowledge which are revealed in scriptures. It's called Sambanda, Abhijaya, and Prayojana. Prayojana is the goal, Abhijaya is the process to get there, and these two things are established upon the knowledge that we have. In other words, if we don't know anything, we can't even set a goal. So when we set a goal because we know something is there, it's real. It's not abstract. It's something obtainable, something tangible, the goal. If it's intangible, you can never attain it. Why would you have it as a goal? So definitely a goal has to be something that's factual. So in terms of spiritual life, of course, it's a little more abstract in one sense because we can't experience it directly, so we accept what Scripture says. So we get the goal from Scripture, we get a process from Scripture, and we also get an understanding of how we attain, how we conclude this is the goal. So that is that Sambandagam. Uh, if we say only matter exists, bodies exist, things exist in the world, etc., then we have to set our goal in terms of this. And some people do that. What is the, if only matter exists, what is the goal for human being? Material happiness. 
get some material object and enjoy, whether it's food or money or relationships, whatever in the material world. Then that's the goal. So the goal is established because the ultimate existing thing is matter. Now, if we don't accept matter as the only thing existing, then we have matter and jiva, for instance. Okay, matter and jiva. So, um, then, even then, uh, the jiva is spiritual, matter is material. What is the goal of the jiva? Hmm? Uh, and jiva is unlike matter. So, then someone could conclude the, the, the goal is to liberate the jiva from matter. Finish. Which is Sankhya philosophy. <laughs> the goal is to get the jiva out of matter. Finished. Huh? What does he do there? Mm, doesn't matter. He's free from matter. That's all. Separates himself from matter, which is different from himself. Then uh, we have philosophy to say jiva, matter, and supreme lord. So there we get Vaishnava philosophy. Unless we say that the jiva merges into the supreme lord, and then we get again Mayavad philosophy, whatever. Huh? So uh, we do have to establish these things, and that's exactly what the previous verse did. There's a Supreme Lord, there's a Jiva, and there's matter. They're all separate. And based on that, then we can set a goal for the Jiva. Goal, the Jiva should realize the Lord, serve the Lord. So we set a goal based upon differentiating the Supreme Lord from Jiva and from matter. Matter, Jiva is different from matter, even though we're stuck in the material world. And Supreme Lord is there, spiritual entity like us. So, uh, let's make a goal, not emerging into the Lord, but attaining the Lord by serving Him. And this is how we get our happiness, which is the prema. So, uh, therefore the sambandha gyan, that preliminary knowledge of defining who's who and what's what, is very necessary before we start everything. So a lot of our scripture speaks of these things. As we see here, distinction is made between Lord and uh, jiva and matter. Oh, in fact, of course, even in the very beginning of Bhagavatam, when uh, Vasudev has a vision of uh, Bhagavatam, <laughs> then it's described there that he saw in the Supreme Lord, he saw Maya, he saw the Jiva. Yeah? And based on that, he wrote Bhagavatam. Yeah? So he made distinctions, first of all. Hmm? Ah, so, that is the uh, preliminary knowledge. Mm-hmm. How do we get that knowledge? So, we get it from Scripture, yes. But then, as I said yesterday, Scripture also can be interpreted variously. So, even if we accept the Vedas, some people come to a different conclusion, like Sankhya philosophy or Nyaya philosophy or whatever, or Karma Mimamsa, atheistic philosophy. We can come with all sorts of conclusions from the same Scripture. So we do need correct meaning of the Scripture also, which we will get through proper parampara of acharyas. So we need scripture, plus we need a parampara system with acharyas. And ultimately we come down to guru, as is mentioned here. However, here's a little uh, extra thing here. Who was the guru in this case? <coughs> of course, um, Mala Dvaja had a guru, but here it says the guru was directly the Supreme Lord. <laughs> so we can take this as he also had Lord giving him instructions on Sambandagan or whatever so that he could realize this. Uh, of course, the other interpretation is that, um, as we see from other places in Bhagavatam, I think, for, for instance, in 
Canto 11, when Krishna speaks to Uddhava, then he talks about the brahmachari. Uh, and the brahmachari in the ashram as a guru instructor. And he takes some paths directly as Bhagavan. He's not a Bhagavan, but he takes the, the guru directly as Bhagavan. And then the commentary says, you don't even take him as an amsa of Bhagavan or as an expansion of Bhagavan. Directly Bhagavan. Guru is directly Bhagavan. <laughs> and then another interesting fact is that uh, not only do you take the guru as God himself, even though we still distinguish him as a jiva, but um, I think Chakravarti Thakur says, uh, this, well, maybe it's jiva Goswami. He says, well, this actually is not even a Vaishnava guru. He's the Vedic guru, and he's teaching, among all things, Karmakanda. But even that guru who's teaching Karmakanda, you take directly as Supreme Lord. <laughs> See him as Supreme Lord, and worship him like that in order to get the knowledge. Huh? So, uh, and he, he's just a guru in the ashram, and, and, but you take him directly as God, even if he's speaking Karmakanda or whatever. <laughs> so what to speak of having a Vaishnava guru and then of course we have to honor him also yeah. so that could be the other interpretation here that the, he got the knowledge through a guru who was directly supreme lord I mean direct lord, direct lord directly but that's very rare as Prabhupada points out here only on a higher level you get that or in sadhana bhakti itself now you have a guru and he must be treated directly as supreme lord another interesting point is that is not even the diksha guru because the Diksha Guru in the Vedic ceremony is who? The Father. He gives the mantra. <laughs> he initiates you into Vedic knowledge. The Father gives the mantra to the Son. Yeah? That's traditionally, even today, they do that. So that's your Guru in one sense, the, the Diksha Guru, the one who gives you the mantra. But the one who gives the teaching is the one in the ashram. So uh, they're speaking of. Um, giving honor to the guru who's giving the teachings, the shiksha guru. And he's treated as directly as God himself. Uh, So, uh, therefore, there is a high reverence given for the guru, whoever he is, the teacher or the one who gives the diksha mantra. Either one gets reverence as if he were God. Even if he's teaching karma, of all things. (laughs) So, uh, which emphasizes the fact that we have to have respect for the person who gives the knowledge. Uh, Of course, that's also respect for scripture itself because the the, the guru is giving scripture and of course for, in our case, for bhakti because if the guru speaks without bhakti, it's also useless for us. So if you want uh, knowledge of bhakti, then it has to be some devotion. And where does the devotion come from? It's non-material. It doesn't arise by punya or karma or anything. It arises by mercy of other devotees. But where does that ultimately come from? Bhakti ultimately comes from the Supreme Lord. It's his internal energy. Composed of Hladini and Sambit Shaktis. Huh? So, the, in other words, Bhakti itself is directly part of the Supreme Lord. <laughs> huh? And it's, uh, say it's the Shakti of the Lord, but simultaneously it's uh, non different from the Shaktiman, Krishna himself, 
And unlike matter, which is also non-different from the Supreme Lord, because we know that we're beta-beta philosophy, so matter and jiva are non-different from God, but internal energy is definitely non-different from him in a more intimate way, because it's directly manifesting everything, including the form and qualities and activities of Krishna in the spiritual world. So it is very much directly, intimately related with Krishna in all ways, eternally, in the spiritual world. So very positively it is non-different from the Supreme Lord. So the Shakti of Bhakti itself, we could say, is Sakshat Bhagavan. <laughs> it is also non-different from Krishna himself, non-different completely. In fact, it considered the essence of the Supreme Lord, that Bhakti Shakti, which is Hani Samvit. Uh, so, because a little bit of that Bhakti uh, enters into the Jiva, and he nourishes that as a plant, and it grows and grows and grows, and eventually becomes a fruit in terms of prema. Uh, even when in a stage where it's growing, it has to be respected. So therefore, that's why devotees are respected, even if they're not at the highest level of prema. So yes, it's good to have uh, uh, prema bhakta as a guru, but then generally the gurus are madhyamadikaris who don't have prema, so, still have to give respect to those gurus because they do have a little bit of that bhakti of the Supreme Lord, which is non different from the Lord. And so, we have to respect that. Yeah. Of course, even if it's not there, uh, as I said, you have to respect the teacher in any case. <laughs> he's giving you karmakanda instructions or whatever, you still have to respect him also. But if he's got bhakti, which is um, karmakanda's material, of course, but uh, it's coming from the Lord also, as Vedas. But uh, if we have bhakti, which is also in the Vedas, but which is directly the shakti of the Supreme Lord in the spiritual world, then that is much more respectable, worthy of respect, being non-different from the Lord himself. So therefore, uh, the teacher, the guru, has to be respected. That same shakti enters into the mantra. Uh, that's your diksha mantra, which you get at second initiation, your secret mantra. So the shakti is also there. Huh? And for that reason, you have to worship the Diksha Guru because of the mantra. Huh? But it's also there in the Shiksha Guru because the Shiksha Guru is giving the teachings, and the teachings are also bhakti and permeated with the bhakti of the teacher, so therefore, equal. So the Shakti is in both places. And of course, the Shakti is also there in another place. What is that in? Harinam. <laughs> Hare Krishna mantra. It's also there, which is not the Diksha mantra. Uh, so therefore it's also there and of course uh, long before we take Diksha we're chanting Hare Krishna also well how do we chant? because we get instructions from other devotees <laughs> so the mantra the Hare Krishna has its own Shakti plus we got the Bhakti of the devotee combined with that and so we have uh, effect from the Hare Krishna mantra also uh, so, and in various ways, we're getting the Shakti of Bhakti through Hare Krishna, through the Diksha Mantra, through the teachings of the Shiksha Guru, etc. Mm, scripture presented to the Shiksha Guru. Uh, so, in any case, uh, somehow or other, we're able to get the knowledge. But the knowledge is not jnana in the material sense or in the sense of uh, impersonal jnana, which we reject. We do need knowledge, not the jnana, impersonal jnana, jnana yoga. Huh? We need this samanda jnana and knowledge of the process and knowledge of the goals. That knowledge is very important for us, necessary as part of our sadhana. 
You cannot do sadhana unless you accept certain things, like Supreme Lord. If you don't accept the Supreme Lord, how can you use sadhana bhakti? You can't do it. Of course, you have the conviction in the Lord, so faith is necessary. Faith in what? Faith that the Lord exists. Faith that I am a chief and I am the servant of the Lord. If you don't even have that faith, then we can't even do bhakti. So, to uh, um, strengthen that faith, we have scripture, which gives us definitions of who is God, who is Jiva, etc. So that's why scripture is necessary, and therefore we have um, works like Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam, and just to make it how I say, firm in our uh, mind, therefore we're supposed to read it every day and study it every day. <laughs> that's part of our regular sadhana, to hear every day Bhagavatam. So we can stick that knowledge in and keep it fixed in our brain and our ultimately in Atma. And uh, so that we can, um, based on that, do our sadhana and attain the goal. So uh, uh, we have here the, the knowledge, the, the uh, knowledge is called Deepa, which is like we have today on the altar here, we have Deepas on the clothing. <laughs> was this a Diwali dress or something? <laughs> Maybe it was a Diwali dress. Lamps on there. <laughs> so, lamps. The lamp of knowledge. The lamp is often associated with knowledge. Why? They are similar there uh, because what does, uh, light is a very peculiar substance. It's material. But it's also very mysterious, even for scientists, you know, because it goes very fast. The fastest moving thing is light, isn't it? Among material things, I think, very fast. fast. I mean, you talk about light years and moving fast as light, etc. So it's moving very fast, uh, like that, um, with no seeing thing to propel it, like a jet power, or anything like that. It go, just moves like that on its own. It seems to move. Uh, but the, for us, uh, it, what it does, it illuminates things. It lights up things so we can see things. Okay. And if we have a little lamp, like a flame, in a dark room, it illuminates. Then we can see everything around us with it. So in other words, we get knowledge through the light, in a sense. Uh, but how it does it is very little mysterious. How the, how the, the little lamp is able to spread out this light or whatever. Okay. So, what the light does is, it reveals things around us. It also reveals itself. The form of the lamp, you see a little light there with a flame flickering like that, and it also spreads out. So it reveals itself, and it reveals things around us. So that's the nature of a a deepa, or even a light bulb. Uh, So, knowledge of the jiva is like that. The knowledge reveals things for the jiva. Uh, we can see objects, etc. Like a lamp reveals things, so knowledge reveals things. It also reveals the Atma itself. So, through knowledge, we understand that we exist and that other things exist. Just like the lamp reveals itself and it reveals everything around it. So, this is what knowledge should do. Of course, material knowledge does not reveal the self, really. But it is based upon a false self. <laughs> the, I, I, I as a material body am observing things around me. When we get higher knowledge, then it reveals that Atma is observing things. 
we get knowledge. So it, the knowledge reveals the self, the knowledge reveals other things. Huh? There is a little difference also between the lamp and the jiva. What's the difference? Obviously the jiva is conscious and the lamp is not conscious. <laughs> but it's mysterious how the lamp does this. It reveals things and reveals itself, but it's not even conscious. So the lamp does not think I exist. It cannot do that. But the jiva can do that. He reveals himself and he says, I exist. And he's aware of that. He has self-awareness. And that knowledge reveals things. So that's the difference between the jiva and the lamp. There's self-awareness in the jiva. There's no self-awareness in the lamp. No sense of I in the lamp. It's just a material property that reveals itself and reveals other things, but it has no sense of the self or I. So that the, the I is in the, in the unique for the jiva. Okay. Anyway, so we call this um, knowledge uh, a lamp because it's quite similar to the lamp, the, the light for the lamp. Uh, uh, another uh, thing, um, term used is swaprakasha, self-revealing. Yeah. So the light reveals itself. And of course it reveals other things. So similarly, the jiva reveals itself and it reveals other things. And of course ultimately the real swaprakasha is Supreme Lord. Yeah. He reveals himself, he reveals other things. In fact, everything else is dependent upon his realization, his revelation. <laughs> so the jiva and his lamp-like nature is, and consciousness is dependent upon the Supreme Lord's consciousness. So he's the ultimate lamp, <laughs> ultimate light. And therefore, he's called jyoti. <laughs> so sometimes when that word is used, and, oh, this is impersonal, Brahma jyoti. <laughs> but jyoti is also used to indicate Bhagavan. And that's how our Vaishnavacharyas take the word jyoti when we hear it in Shandogya Upanishad. Uh, Shankaracharya will take this as Brahman, but we'll take this as Supreme Lord, who is Swapakasha. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, in any case, the, the knowledge is compared to a lamp. So, the ultimate Deepa is Supreme Lord. He's the ultimate light. But the Jiva is also secondarily, has this characteristic as similarity with the Supreme Lord. So... Uh, by the light of that knowledge which is very pure which is spiritual knowledge then the next verse says that therefore King Maladavaja could understand the super soul by his side and he was sitting next to the super soul he was next to the supreme lord so he was able to distinguish supreme lord from Jiva uh, if we don't have that Visuddha Gyan we have a little bit of Jnana what happens? I am Brahmana there's no distinction between Jiva and Supreme Lord. It says, I am it. I am that Brahman. Huh? So, uh, he, he got Visuddhagyan through the Guru. Yeah. Uh, spoken directly. Knowledge spoken directly by the Supreme Lord who was the Guru. Whatever. So, uh, if we have a, a Vaishnav Guru, then we get the proper again so that we can realize the difference between Jiva and Supreme Lord. Don't get that knowledge, then we end up only with Brahman. No distinction. Okay. So that is why a proper again is necessary. Okay. And it comes through scripture and through um, devotees, through guru, etc. By teaching. And then, in order to get the teaching properly, we have to treat the guru as 
Sakshat Bhagavan, <laughs> directly Supreme Lord. So why do we have to do that? Because if it's directly the Supreme Lord, we know it is true knowledge. If we think it comes from somewhere else, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. So we don't necessarily accept it. But if it is directly the Supreme Lord speaking and directly the words of the Lord, then uh, we should accept it. So that is why one has to accept the teacher. If we don't accept and respect him, then we don't respect his knowledge. So we don't really believe it. So uh, this is part of uh, what, um, accepting the knowledge. We have to treat the Guru as Supreme Lord himself. Huh? Of course, simultaneously we know that the normal Gurus are not Supreme Lord. They are Jivas. But, as I mentioned, because our, our, our Gurus, the Vaishnava Gurus have Bhakti, Bhakti is non different from the Supreme Lord, so in that sense they are directly the Supreme Lord because Bhakti is non different from the Supreme Lord and it's his most prized Shakti, you can say. Uh, so therefore, uh, that is respectable. And for that reason also, we respect all Vaishnavas because of little Bhakti is there, whatever. Okay. Of course, some Vaishnavas may be Abhasa, they're not so advanced and they have mistaken ideas or whatever. You know, we have all sorts of people that chant Hare Krishna, but not necessarily real Vaishnavas, <laughs> especially in India. But at least uh, in nectar of instruction, Rupa Goswami gives a little mental respect at least. <laughs> okay, with some aspect of Krishna's bhakti has there been a misdistorted, like Namavash. But those who are actual devotees who have proper sambandha again, then we give them real respect. Then, those who have more realization due to proper practice, we give them more respect like that. So among devotees, then we have grades of respect also. And the higher they are, then the more respect we give them. So that is the general protocol for giving respect. Of course, even people are not devotees, we have to give respect. <laughs> so therefore, as said, one, uh, uh, you know, um, we give respect to everyone and we don't expect respect. That is a, a core principle of starting the process of devotional service. Uh, so therefore, we have to respect all living entities. Yeah. And in the uh, Angas of Bhakti, 64 Angas of Bhakti mentioned in Nectar of Devotion, one of them is, don't disturb any living entities. <laughs> And another one is respect even the trees, like the Asvata tree, <laughs> and the animals, especially the cow. Yeah? So we respect all the animals and the plants, but of course, in human beings we respect more, and among the human beings, the Brahmana. But of course, above that, then we have the Vaishnava. We have most respect to the Vaishnava. And then among the Vaishnavas, the higher ones, we give more respect. <laughs> so, therefore, we respect all of the entities, but then we give the most respect to the Vaishnava and advanced Vaishnava. So, in this way, um, we have to give respect uh, in, to all living entities, but especially to the devotees. And through that respect, then we get proper knowledge. And with that knowledge, then we can advance towards realization of that knowledge. So there is a particular process given, and if we follow it, then we will get the results. Uh, of course, here one other interesting fact is that he directly speaks about Bhagavan here. So he's not speaking about Brahman, 
And even he's not speaking about the uh, parma, who's simply the witness of everything. Uh, he's talking about the person who gives you instructions. Hmm? And uh, in the purport we have here, Tesham Satati Yuktanam, that the Lord uh, uh, gives you the intelligence by which you can come to Him. Yeah? So when the Lord starts interacting with the devotee because He has devotion, then He's not actually the neutral Paramatma anymore, He's actually Bhagavan. <laughs> He's encouraging the devotee to develop bhakti more and more, and he gives them um, guidance in that direction. Uh, but as is mentioned here, actually those who are not advanced uh, cannot appreciate that guidance. Uh, uh, they can't under- make, uh, understand the difference between mental speculation and guidance or whatever. So uh, uh, for beginners, generally, uh, we take the advice of devotees. And that's our guidance. Huh? And we have external guru for that purpose. If we're advanced, then we take the internal guidance of the Supreme Lord. We can get that also. So, uh, uh, or we can get the advice of the guru, and then we have, through him, we get the Supreme Lord giving intelligence also. So he also acts as the medium for the Supreme Lord. So there are many um, ways in which the uh, devotee can get uh, guidance from the Supreme Lord internally, from the devotees externally, or from the devotees who are via medias of the Supreme Lord's guidance also. In this way, the devotee has some um, methods for uh, getting knowledge and advancing in devotional service. Okay. What does giving more respect mean? Does that mean giving less respect to someone else? <laughs> well, it's not, it's not disrespect. <laughs> but um, this is a, um, um, something mentioned in Krishna Bhajanamrita, one word. It says, you respect your father, and then you give equal respect to his brothers, but you give double respect to the grandfather. So you give more. <laughs> you do more things for him when he, when he goes in the comes in the room. Then you're more liable to offer him things and you know respect him and praise him and do whatever like that. So uh, and in the same way, uh, we have many uh, devotees, and and then we respect them all. But then we give special respect. So usually people give special respect to the Dikshaguru. So when he comes in, you get excited and <laughs> wash his feet and do all sorts of things for him and feed him lots of prasadam and whatever, which you normally don't do for the other devotees. So in that sense, he gets more respect. Of course, that's a little bit superficial in one sense, but we say that the devotion is there. Yeah? So that ultimately, the devotion is more important than the physical offerings or whatever, but um, both are, you could say, manifestation of physical things like the offering of garlands or a manifestation of the inner... What devotion? So we show more respect for special devotees like gurus or whatever like that. But then, according to advancement of those gurus, if a guru is at the bhava stage, then we would get more excited and do more things for him. And if they come, then first you would respect the higher one, and secondly the next one, whatever like that, in terms of priority. But we never disrespect anybody. Then are we taking risk by judging that this this guru we should give more respect, to yeah. this guru we should give lesser respect? Yeah. Well, um, um, the Madhya Adhikari must make distinctions. 
So the first distinction is he distinguishes devotees from non-devotee, and he does not preach to those who are very inimical. Those who are neutral or innocent, he preaches to them a little bit. Uh, and have a little faith, he preaches to them. And he associates with the devotees and very friendly. Among those devotees, he will give instructions to the lesser ones, the Kanishtas. He will associate with the Madhimas, his friends, and he will serve those who are superior. So he makes distinctions automatically, even among devotees. The Madhimadikarni. If he does not make distinctions, Bhakti Minotakar says he cannot advance. <laughs> he treats everybody equally, then it's not good, it's not a proper thing. So he has to see the differences even between devotees. So that's maybe say uh, intelligence he'll get from Supreme Lord within and from other devotees also. When he says getting guidance from Supreme Lord within or internal guidance, mm. how do we find out whether this is the internal guidance of the mind is? Well, that's that's the problem for devotees in the beginning. So that's why Prabhupada says here usually he's an advanced devotee, and then he goes into rag bhakti and he gets direct inspiration from the Lord in terms of his rasa, etc. So uh, before that, it's more likely we're going to get the external guidance through devotees and gurus. say that the, the, the Lord was speaking through the prostitute or something also like that. So yeah, we have cases like that. Of course, they're probably a little rare. Yeah? Uh, or I think they're in the 11th canto, there's a whole story also of, the, but, uh, of uh, you know, everything in the material world, being a shiksha guru, uh, seeing different material things. That's a little bit of an extension, though, not exactly like uh, shiksha guru in the normal sense. But, uh, and the other point made in the, in the Adi Lila is that the Shiksha Guru and the Diksha Guru should be treated equally. Yeah. There, there is no difference. Huh? Because they're both giving this Shakti, Bhagavan, Bhakti to the devotees. Then, if I uh, Brahmacharya or someone has Karmakana Guru and Vaishnava Guru or Father Guru, like, they can't all be accepted as Hari because. Yeah, so this rather surprising statement that Jiva Goswami makes there, <laughs> you treat even your karma guru <laughs> uh, as, as God. So I think the context of this was that it's talking about Varnashram system and the brahmachari. So it's not necessarily Vaishnavic. It's just that yeah, all the three upper castes get from their father the Brahmagayatri mantra. Then they're qualified to get teachings from some gurus and learn at least one Veda along with the Brahmanas, Aranyakas, Upanishads and Samhita of one Veda so there they're going to get some Karmakanda definitely even if the guru is a Vaishnava but he may be in personalist or maybe in Jnana or could be following Janini or something into Karma you know, Karma Mimamsa which is atheistic so but nevertheless you treat your guru as directly the Supreme Lord <laughs> Our children 
like in the next verse that we read a little bit, that he could, that the king who was able to observe the super soul sitting side by side, and so he could observe himself and the Lord as well, and allow the government to visit for him. But to what extent he was able to understand? Uh, well, uh, we don't have so many details here, but obviously he could distinguish uh, Jiva from Supreme Lord, so that much he got. And uh, hopefully we, we can understand or uh, implied is that uh, uh, he was a devotee of the Lord, so then uh, if he could see the Lord, he must have had Prema also. Hmm? So therefore, he went to Vaikuntha. Oh, actually, it's in 43, Premna. Oh, no, is that, is that the daughter? Is that, is that the wife? Yes. Uh, it's the wife. <laughs> she had Prema for the husband. But anyway, we can, we can understand that he was very advanced because if you can see the Lord in any form, he must have spiritual eyes. Do understand so much to ask you about the, you mentioned Namavas, people who chant the Namavas, uh, mm-hmm. that we should also show some respect, but I heard from Maharaj that Namavas is actually quite high level, because we often commit the offenses to the holy names of Chan Namavada. Mm-hmm. So Namavas is actually uh, leading to Shubhanam in the sense that it's like a yeah. Well, um, there's two types of namabas. One is accidental namabas, like Ajamil, chanting the name of Narayan. He's not even a devotee. So that's quite unadvanced. <laughs> and that type of chanting is for people that have no faith at all, and so they just accidentally chant for some reason. So that's one uh, non-advanced. The other is people who do have some intention to chant, uh, because they've heard something from somebody, so they chant. Uh, but it can go off in two directions. One is without offense, and the other is with offense. So the with offense, of course, is not very good. So there are many people in India that chant out of tradition or whatever. They may be smartas or impersonalists or whatever. So they will chant because some guru told them to chant is good for your you know, sadhana now. But at the same time, their conviction is that the goal is to merge into Ramadan and that the name of the Lord is material and the form of the Lord is material. So that's offense. <laughs> so that's a Nama boss, but then it very quickly turns into worse than that. <laughs> it turns into a Nama Parat also, <laughs> mixed. <laughs> the other is a devotee who is intentionally chanting and he's trying to follow bhakti, uh, but he just got proper information because it doesn't mean devotees practicing pure bhakti. He has no bad intentions and he doesn't want to reject the Lord, he doesn't want to think of the material, but he doesn't quite know, you know, so he's more or less in ignorance. Huh? Uh, so that's another type of devotee. We can say that by ignorance he's making offense perhaps, but he's not, it's not because he has a philosophical conviction that the Lord has a material body or anything. But, uh, well, he just doesn't quite know. Uh, so that's also permissible that uh, uh, if he gets knowledge, then he can very quickly get rid of that abbas and come to pure chanting. Uh, uh, so um, we got you know various types of nabas there. Uh, 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 so most people, um, when they start bhakti, then they will have some. It'll be nabas because they don't have proper knowledge. But if they read Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam a little bit, then they can come to the pure level. Hmm? But there's another problem, <laughs> and that is the anartas, which also create a boss. 
So the knowledge aspect, ignorance or knowledge, that's one aspect that determines nama bas from sudanam, pure name. The other is the anartas. So, of course, even in pure bhakti, we do have anartas because we go through anartan of Riddhinish to Ruchiyasaki and anartas all there. But we don't call that nama bas, we call it pure name as long as uh, there's some restriction there on the anartas. <laughs> And we don't purposely engage in making our nartas grow. So we understand that in pure bhakti, we're not supposed to pray for material things. So we reject the uh, the desires that may be there uh, when we're practicing the bhakti. Even though within us we still have material attraction, but uh, as far as when we're chanting and we're worshiping the Lord, we're not expecting to get material results from it. So in that sense, we call it pure bhakti so the anartas have to be under control also when they become explicit then it mixes the bhakti and it becomes a bas or mixed bhakti I'll just follow up on the previous question sometimes we see material with people and do bad things and I'll even say I'll probably do it so do what well, the answer to that is that you got that karma not because the Lord forced the karma on you, but you did a certain act which produced the karma according to the law of karma but you made a choice to do the act. So therefore, the karma is self-created. As the Lord didn't make you do it, you chose to do the act which created this result. Uh, just like if you go to jail uh, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the judge gives you a judgment, uh, you know, three years in jail because of this sort of crime or whatever like that, you can blame the judge. He ordered me to go to jail, but actually... It's because you chose to do a crime, <laughs> and then you get judged and you go to jail. So you can't really blame the judge for that or the law itself. Uh, uh, if you know the law and you avoid it, then you don't go to jail. So you have a choice there, and therefore, if you go in jail, you have to blame yourself for choosing to do the crime. gives you the choice. Say so you choose. So uh, where is the free will, uh, where is the power of the Lord? It's the one, he, he gives you the free will. That's where the Lord's power is. But he doesn't make you choose one or the other. Yeah? If that were so, then the karma should go to the Krishna, not everybody else. Because <laughs> he made you do the karma and you got the bad results, so therefore he should get the karma for it. <laughs> but we choose who so we get the result. Uh, so that's because the Lord gives that free will and ability to choose to the jiva. Even though it's, we can say, covered by ignorance or whatever, different things. Still, there's some capacity to choose there accordingly. We, we have to bear the results of that. 
So my previous comment, you might be forced to act in a particular way. Well, we're forced in the circumstances, but we're not forced to do the act that we choose in that particular situation as a human being. As an animal, we have no real choice because we don't have intelligence. But if you're put in a very bad situation due to your karmas or whatever, then you do have some free will. Of course, if you end up in a tumbleweed situation, it's very difficult to choose properly. If you're in a suffix situation, it's very easy. So, uh, by our, our karmas, we're put in a situation that creates a lot of tamagun. Even there, you can choose to get out of a tamagun situation. Well, most people don't, but you, if you have a good, let's say you're in a tamagun situation, uh, you could choose one thing. I will not listen to tamagun music anymore. <laughs> so when you make that choice and you don't listen to all this crazy music, then immediately you get a little bit of, you know, elevation. And, 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 your, and your thing so it's not it's controlled by karma but you make a choice I don't want to listen to that bad music anymore I don't want to take that food anymore then you automatically get a little change in your guna so there is opportunity for change even with a little bit of change and then if you get to that level then you could probably make better choices also Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a question we ask because we're in the material world and we're subject to a uh, a perception of past, present, future, and time operating in a linear direction. So it may not be like that (laughs) from the spiritual point of view. So then Krishna's, uh, and even a, a jiva in the spiritual world, when they look at the material world and time, they see it much differently. So they won't ask questions like that. <laughs> but Krishna can see past, present, future, so he must know where I'm going to go. And, uh, it's, it's, it's part of our material uh, you know, uh, conception of past, present, future, and things like that. And so actually, time is mysterious, and even scientists cannot understand what time is. So... Uh, from the spiritual point of view, it's quite different from what we think it is. <laughs> well, it's, it's, we have heard in the spiritual world there's no time. But yeah, then, no material time. Is there a sense of spiritual time like the seasons? Oh, yeah. Well, they have a, uh, Krishna wakes up in the morning, Krishna goes in the field, at 12 o'clock he starts eating his uh, food that Mother Yasoda makes, in the afternoon he returns, then when he comes home, Mother Yasoda feeds him, then later on he goes to bed, then he gets up and goes to Rasalila, then he comes back, and so <laughs> middle of the night. So there's, there is time in that sense. It's not material time, because material time controls and operates along with karma. Yeah. So it's not that type of time at all. It's time and subservience to the leelas of Krishna, which create prema, <laughs> not which create suffering for the jivas. <laughs> One person that you may have said that Ashtakali, that only belongs to the Gokul Vrindavan here, not the Gokul Vrindavan. Spiritual world also. Eternal pastimes. When you say time is mysterious, what does that mean? Yeah, because even material scientists don't know what it is. It's very difficult to define, even by, by scientists. We just think time, okay, yesterday, today, tomorrow, like that. So kind of a simple perception of time. When we get to a scientific definition like mass and speed and 
like creation, destruction, all these sort of things, and motion, whatever. <laughs> and you try to define time; it's very mysterious. They don't, they can't quite define it even. Yeah, they use it like in e equals mc squared and all this, but what it is, they don't really know. But it certainly is a factor and a force within the material world. But they can't really define what it is. It's not an electromagnetic force. It's not a, you know, <laughs> it's not a particle. It's not, you don't know what it is. <laughs> If you had no memory, time wouldn't exist. <laughs> well, if you're in Brahman state, definitely there's no time there, is there? There's, because you don't perceive anything. There's no object to perceive and there's no change, so therefore there's no time in that sense. But in the spiritual world, then we do have objects. But <laughs> you have a time, but it's a different time. What is that? The mind. mind. Is it atomic in nature or is it hmm. I've never seen it. Of course, we can think of the subtle body is made out of mind. Yes. So the sukshma surir is actually like this body, but a little extended, like, you know, aura and all that. So in that yeah. sense, we can say extend, but usually it probably concentrates, for us at least, in our conditioned state. And maybe modern world, it gets located somewhere in our head or something, probably. Uh, but it doesn't have to be, but probably out of conditioning, we, we kind of associate it with our head <laughs> or our heart. heart. Yeah. So it's just uh, because of the conditioning we think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, isn't that not part of the layers of the universe? What's that? You know, when the soul goes back to God, it's passed through all the layers of the universe. And all the parts are left it's there. So you don't take your subtle body with you to the spiritual world, all the elements and then the mind and the intelligence and the false ego merge into those layers of the universe and then you're left with nothing of those and you got your spiritual form. So Maharaj, if there's no explanation of that answer you gave before from Tasha, we sometimes make bad choices in that situation, but by being situated in higher ones, we don't have to make bad choices. What's that? When? We make bad choices when we're put in a bad situation, like we bad karma. Well, yeah, well, we made, made, made bad choices because we uh, react to that situation with lust, anger, and greed, basically, a tamasic response to our environment. If we don't do that, then we won't make bad choices. But then, of course, most people are controlled by lust, anger, and greed, so that's why they end up stuck in the material world and not advancing even in their material condition because of that. But it is possible, but maybe very difficult for most people because they won't even listen to another person. Sometimes, if they get so frustrated, they do listen. <laughs> so the person who's a drunkard, for instance, in some cases, it's impossible to cure them. And they just sit in that tamasic state forever and they can't get out of it they keep drinking drinking sometimes they realize their completely pathetic position and they get determined to get out of it then they advance and they get rid of that position and they rise up and they get out of it so there's a little choices there but it's very difficult when you're in tamil going to get out of it some people get a little inspiration to get out of it and they do it yeah well they're not there should be transcendental <laughs> beyond the modes <laughs> So bhakti itself is beyond the mode. So if you practice bhakti, and technically at that stage of practicing the bhakti, pure bhakti, you're beyond the modes. 
if you practice tamagun bhakti, of course you're still kind of in the modes, but uh, or rajagun or sattvagun. But if you're practicing pure bhakti, then technically when you do that, you should be on the modes. say that uh, the, the higher you rise in the gunas, the less uh, suffering we get from time and its factors. <laughs> but still, it's there. So Brahma has a long lifespan, but eventually he dies also. But longer lifespan, no sickness, no old age, etc. So due to, it, because that's a state of very, very pure sattva guna. So uh, the higher you go, the more comfortably you can live in the material world, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, so you, you escape from the negative aspects of time, but not completely. Maharaj, in that verse, Krishna's two Bhagavans, when that Krishna, is it referring to Kaishwara uh, form or is it referring to Mathura? Uh, well, it can refer to both, because either way Krishna is superior, but then of course ultimately uh, the Vrindavan form is superior to the Dvorakan Mathura form also. <laughs> so that's that the other forms are Amsas of Krishna or is Swayam Bhagavan? They're all Swayam Bhagavan. Yeah. Okay, Hare Krishna.